Uh, we are going to cover uh, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. <clears throat> um, this is, uh, once again, you know, last week we talked about the prologue to the book. Obviously, this is right after that, but it's still setting the pace uh, for what is about to transpire throughout the rest of the book. There's a challenge going on uh, as far as who's in charge, who's the true leader, who are the right shepherds, leaders of Israel. Uh, what we're going to find <clears throat> is that Yeshua is none other than what? The good shepherd. That's going to be proven. It's almost like uh, a court battle going on throughout this whole gospel account. And it starts off right here at this very beginning. <clears throat> and as Susan was sharing with us how these, uh, these men show up from Jerusalem and they start questioning John, uh, or in Hebrew it would be Yochanan. Uh, I've got it once again in the Scriptures version, and you're going to see a huge reason why. I'm leaning harder and harder towards that version, using it all the time here at the very beginning. So uh, before we start, I just want to pray that God would honor the reading of His Word, that He would be with us and help us to uh, understand what He has to say. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love You very much. Yehovah, I pray that You would cause Your Spirit to uh, enlighten us with Your Word, that it wouldn't be my words or my ideas or our ideas or our traditions, but it would be your word that would be what you said it is, sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the power to pierce our hearts down to the bone and marrow, the very intention of our hearts. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that it would do that and it would draw us into a closer relationship with you. And we pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick up with verse 19. I'm just going to read that one verse here for a second. And <clears throat> we're going to look at some talk about it. So in the Scriptures version, it says, Now this was the witness of Yochanan when the Yehudim sent from Yerushalayim priests, and I'm going to pronounce it Levites, although it's spelled with a W. I got that when I went through the Hebrew University, taking Hebrew, and this debate over is this one letter pronounced as a W or a V. I can't get away from it. It just I think it's a V. <laughs> Anyhow, so it's the Levites, and to ask him, Who are you? Now, what I want you to notice is in your notes here, I've got it in the ESV. Uh, and it says in the ESV, this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, we talked about this last week, about the Yehudim and who are these people. Now, I want you to see right here as we get into this in verse 19 is a clear distinction if you use the word Yehudim or if you just translate that as Jews. You see, if you read that as Jews and as it's done throughout this translation in this gospel account, you read that and go, well, the Jews sent these Pharisees and the scribes, these priests, to ask John these questions. Well, it wasn't the Jews in general. It was the leadership, the supposedly the shepherds over Israel, God's shepherds that were supposed to be feeding and leading His sheep. Um, 
these are these people that watch this as I was reading and studying. <clears throat> there, there's a lot of subgroups in this term referred to as a Yehudim. Remember we talked about how if I just use the word Yanks or Yankees, you could be thinking either a baseball team or New York or north of the Mason-Dixon line or whatever, depending on your age or just whatever you're thinking about. Uh, so if you just use the word Jews, generally speaking, you're thinking, well, the, it was the Jews that sent them. It wasn't. It was the Yehudim. And under the Yehudim, there's also all these subgroups. You've got Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, priests. The scribes were kind of like the lawyers of the day. <clears throat> um, you've got the, the Sanhedrin, which is a select group among all of those that are set up. There was 70 of them, and they would make these major... Think of them as the Supreme Court. It would all end up going to the Sanhedrin, whatever they said, man, you know, that was it. Well, it's this Yehudim that sends these Pharisees, these priests, and these uh, scribes, these Levites, uh, to ask John a question. Who are you? They, start, they ask him these three questions. We'll get into that in a minute. But they ask him then, you know, so are you, are you uh, the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Or are you the prophet? And, and then when he goes, no, and then they go, well, then who are you? It's a legal question, really. They're, they're really like, look, you don't have a degree. <laughs> You're not certified by any of us. You're not in any one of our groups. Basically, who gives you the right and the authority to be out here preaching? Who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? If so, well, we need to know that. But if you remember, as we march through here, when they realized that Jesus was really doing the works of God or whatever, but it was challenging them and their position, they plotted to kill him and did with the help of the Romans. <clears throat> they're really, they're asking, you know, like, why are you here and who are you? Basically, who gives you the right to do this? And if you are the prophet, you know, and then, which is what they end up doing with Jesus, then show us proof. They're constantly asking proof. And so Jesus is constantly going to challenge these Yehudim throughout this story, but it's a court battle of who is the right shepherd. Is it you guys or is it the, as we know, Jesus as the good shepherd? And that's going to get proven out in the end, okay? So uh, I, I wanted that on there uh, here for you, and I've got this little note for you that we've already talked about. And so they're out there asking this John the Baptist this question, this Yochanan, you know, uh, you know who are you? So let's jump on down to verse 20. <clears throat> so we understand kind of what's going on here. Uh, and he says, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. So then they ask him, what then? Are you Eliyahu? Uh, so he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Therefore, they said to him, who are you? So that we can give an answer to those who sent us. There's another little clue, which we kind of know this, that it was the religious leaders that sent them. It wasn't the Jewish people as a whole. It was a religious leader. So this is a delegation. This is a, 
search and find and destroy and trap whatever delegation. He goes, you need to give us an answer so we can go and report it back to our leaders. Okay? Uh, let, me, let me back up just for one second. <clears throat> if you constantly read, and you can't help it if you have a hard Bible that you've paid a lot of money for, I don't blame you for that, but it's extremely difficult to read this gospel account and you keep reading Jews, 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 and you get it into your head that it's the Jews that are against Jesus. You can't get it out of your head, just like last week when we talked about the word but. You know, the Torah came through Moses, but grace and truth through the Messiah, but that word but isn't in there. You can't get it out of your head. It's the same thing with this word Jews in your English translation. So for you and anybody that would ever listen and try this, I'm just going to ask you to try to be cognizant and thinking when you read this gospel account to go ahead and substitute the word, if you can, Yehudim, or if that's too hard for you to remember because I get it, it's a weird word, uh, just put in leaders or whatever when you're reading it because you kind of have to do that to get it over, over and over and over to make that your habit, just like I can't pronounce it Lee White's <laughs> because I don't think the letter is a W, and it just it's weird. It's, it's Levites, okay? Uh, anyhow, so <clears throat> they're asking him, you know, so then, you know, who are you? You know, are you the, are you the Messiah? Uh, no, 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 I'm not. And so then he says, so they say, so, you know, what do you, then what do you say about yourself? This is fascinating because he, and uh, Susan already mentioned this. He goes, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of Yahovah as the prophet Yeshayahu, which is Elijah, Isaiah, uh, said. Here's what's fascinating about that. That's, in, that's from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And the quote is just that. It says, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahovah, make straight in the desert a highway for our Elohim. Here's what's absolutely fascinating about that. Did I give you that in your notes? You're going to have to write that one down. Oh, well. Did I? Is it buried in there somewhere? Maybe not. You're going to have to write that down. It's uh, Isaiah, what did I say it was? 40 verse 3? 40 verse 3. So here's what's fascinating about that. You might want to go back and read that. <clears throat> Everyone understood that that was a messianic statement. Here's why. That prophecy was given by Isaiah dealing with the southern tribes of Israel when they had been captured by Babylon, sent into captivity, and God saying, I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back from judgment, going to prepare a straight way for you. But they understood in reading this that this was messianic because they believed that the Messiah would come and bring his people out of bondage, out of exile to a point of judgment. Watch this, which also meant that they believed that when the Messiah come, he would bring in the great day of the Lord which is still believed to this day 
Even we believe that. We're just looking for Yeshua coming back a second time, right? They believe, those that don't believe in Yeshua, still believe that when the Messiah comes, it's going to usher in the great day of the Lord and world peace and and all of that other stuff. You, You tracking with me there? So John the Baptist is quoting something to these men that's messianic. And they know it. Everyone knew it. They had lightly studied their Bibles in this Jewish culture. So in verse 24, it says, And those sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you immerse if you're not the Messiah, not Eliyahu, and are not the prophet? Let me go ahead and read this because if I don't, I'm going to forget because I want to go back and talk about these three people that everybody was looking for. So Yohanan answered them saying, I'm immersed in water, but in your midst stands one whom you don't know. Do you see that jab? You are, the, you are the guys that are supposed to be the leaders in Israel. You're coming and challenging me because I don't have my sheepskin hanging on my wall from your college. It's basically what he's saying. He goes, this is who I am. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight for the paths of the Lord. And guess what? There's one in your midst that you don't know. Man, he's fixing to hammer them. Um. And he goes, the one coming after me, who has become before me? Hmm. He's not talking about just status. He's talking about an existence. John the Baptist was also born physically before Yeshua. And Yeshua, that second person in the Godhead, was in existence when? Even before creation. John is alluding to all of this. And he goes, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loosen. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal. Mm. And he goes, and this uh, took place in Beth Anon, uh, Anya, uh, beyond the Yardan, where Yachanan was immersing. Let's let's stop there. Now I want to back up because they, they, they key in on these three things. So they're like, so are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah the prophet? Or are you the prophet? Because they were looking for these three different people. Here's what's interesting. Even to this day, everybody's view, and especially back then, their view and understanding of the Messiah was uh, complicated. And they couldn't all even agree on it as they do to this day, don't agree on exactly what this Messiah is supposed to do and be. And they've distorted a lot of stuff as we have, right? And we're learning more and more of that. So I want to look at this issue of the Messiah. Um, This one, and I'm I'm not going to chase all the passages. We don't have time tonight. Uh, but Psalm 2 is probably one of the most prominent passages dealing with the Messiah 
and also some statements made about the Messiah that also caused some confusion. Um, But most of the rabbis fully believed that this psalm is talking about the Messiah. I want to read this whole psalm for you, and then we're going to talk about a couple of things on it. Psalm 2, there's only 12 verses. It says, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples meditate um, emptiness? The sovereigns or kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against Yahovah and against His Messiah and say, Let us tear apart their bonds and throw away their ropes from us. In other words, we don't want God and His Messiah tying us down. We want to do what we want to do. He who is sitting in the heavens laughs. Yahovah mocks at them. God is sitting in the heavens laughing going, Really? Really? I've already been down the unlimited, infinite paths of future possibilities. <laughs> I've even already lived them all. I know what you could do on any given path and how it'll turn out, and I'm not even just guessing. And that's a little hard for us to wrap our brain around, right? Because we just can't. Anyways, it says that he's laughing and he literally mocks at them. Verse 5, then he speaks to them in his wrath and troubles them in his rage, saying, but I, I have set my sovereign or my king on Zion or Zion. My set-apart mountain. I inscribe for a law. Yahovah said to me, you are my son. That's key. Might want to highlight that. I don't remember if I highlighted it in your notes or not. Let me turn my page so I can see what I gave you. Yeah. You are my son. Today I have brought you forth. Ask of me, and I make the Gentiles your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. Break them with a rod of iron, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And now be wise, O sovereigns, or kings. Be instructed, you rulers of the earth. Serve Yahovah with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be enraged. And you perish in the way. For soon His wrath is to be kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Man, this is packed with meaning. So he says, uh, he says in there that, that this issue is against God and His Messiah. The rabbis started arguing over whether this was really messianic or not, or whatever. Um, and they've gotten so confused. And even to this day, there's a large group of people Orthodox Jewish people that will say that really when it says you are my son because there's one verse in the Old Testament talks about Israel was like a son to God and they say all this suffering of the suffering servant Messiah it's got to be Israel we're his son and who has suffered more than us so they interject themselves for this son and this son Messiah thing, because they can't figure it out, because the, the Messiah is supposed to come from King David, and he's also 
supposed to come from Joseph, and he's supposed to be a suffering servant, but he's also supposed to be a king conquering servant. Didn't make any sense. We understand it now retroactively, uh, understanding it. Uh, we're able to look back and see, well, it's because he's going to come twice. Uh, for us, it seems simple, but for them, it's not. But then he also says, you are my son today. I've brought you forth. What does that sound like? This is my only begotten son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, listen to him. Says it again. Why? Because he is the prophet. We'll talk about that in a second. <clears throat> and he goes, uh, and those that don't listen, which we, she, uh, Susan even brought up, says, um, I'm going to require it of him. Folks, this is also why you see over and over and over again in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, pay attention. Because these words about Yeshua, he is the prophet. You better listen to what he says because if you don't, God himself, Yahweh himself said, I personally am going to require it of you if you don't pay attention. Wow. That's why that's in there so many times. <clears throat> and then it says, kiss the son lest he be enraged. And blessed are all those who take refuge in him. In who? The son. So watch this. The rabbis had also talked about a lot, even up until this time when this encounter happened, that, well, who it's really talking about is David. It's talking about King David. Well, there's a lot of problems because, number one, we need to read our Bibles in, in context. Did King David ever have all of the nations of the world given to him as an inheritance? No. Did he possess all the earth as his inheritance? No. Who is that promised to? The Messiah. Plain and simple. It's what it says in here. He says he's going to make all the Gentiles, make the Gentiles, or you can translate that word nations, your inheritance, and the ends of the earth, your possession. Remember, Yeshua came back for restoration and to reclaim what? Everything. All the nations, all the people, all of the earth. And it's starting right there in Israel and around Yerushalayim and, and more. Anyhow. So that's what's been going on. And, so, and that's what they were looking for. So they're looking for this person called the Messiah. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because John the Baptist quotes a messianic prophecy out of Isaiah and telling them, and you don't even know who I'm talking about. And you're supposed to be the leaders. It's going to get proven later, like I said before, that these are actually the false shepherds in the prophecies in Elijah that God judges because they were misrepresenting his people and causing his sheep to starve. And Yeshua is going to be proven to be the good shepherd that feeds his sheep. Right? And isn't that what he tells Peter at the very end three times? Pete, do you love me? Yeah, well then tend to my sheep. Pete, do you love me? You know I do. Well then feed my sheep. Pete, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Then Peter, take care of and feed my sheep. I'm the good shepherd, for crying out loud. 
And just because I'm going physically doesn't mean I'm going to be gone, but I'm entrusting you by my spirit to feed my sheep properly. Folks, that's why when I stand up here, I take this incredibly serious. It runs chills down my back when I see guys that are in the pulpit preaching garbage that aren't even out of the Bible. And I'm thinking, you know, you're doing this for a living. And are you just not reading what it says? Because, whoa. Um, it's serious business. Serious business. So they, they were looking for this Messiah, <clears throat> but they were confused on it. And they weren't sure exactly how it would all pan out. Then they said, well, then are you Eliyahu, or the way we know it as Elijah? But once again, there's no J sound in Hebrew. I've got a couple of verses for you here dealing with this about <coughs> Elijah. I've got a note for you here in your, in your notes. Um, they always understood that Elijah would come first, that Elijah would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord, as God tells us. We'll look at here in, again, in a second. But folks, to this very day, this is why at Passover every year, they'll set a place for Elijah the prophet with an empty chair and a plate. And during that Seder meal, usually one of the youth will get up, one of the children in the house, because it's typically done in a home. It's typically not done in a big setting at a restaurant or at a hotel with 500 people there. It's a home setting. And so one of the children in the home would go and look at open the front door and look and call out, is Elijah there, you know, and then shut the door and say, well, Elijah's not there. So they look for Elijah every year at Passover. And they end it with a prayer, which is next year in Jerusalem. Well, we're going to go one more year, and hopefully Elijah's going to come next year at Passover. They thought it would happen at Passover. Uh, and so they do that to this very day, looking for Elijah. So what are some of these passages. In Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 it says 6 it says See I am sending you Eliyahu the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Jehovah and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and smite the earth with utter destruction. <clears throat> so he says and they they knew this. So they're like okay so God is telling us Something explicit, right? Just like Jesus has told us something explicit about his return. There's one thing you and I need to be looking for. Okay, I didn't plan on doing this. Here's a pop quiz. <clears throat> so what's the one thing we should be looking for to tell us that the return of our Savior is very, very close? There's only one. He said one sign, one thing to look for. You people should know this. It's the stoppage of them. Yeah. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When you see this, run to the hills. That has to happen first before he's going to come back. <clears throat> so God told his people and us that the, before the coming of the Messiah, and watch this, the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is still yet in the future. Right? But I already told you, the Jewish people, and to this day, expected when the Messiah comes, He's going to restore the kingdoms, 
There's going to be one nation. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. There's going to be this great and awesome day of the Lord. It's going to be awful for a lot of people, but God is going to settle all the accounts, and He's going to rule and reign from the earth, and everything's going to be great, and they're going to turn their swords into plowshares and learn war no more, right? That's what they were expecting. But they're expecting Elijah to come first, so that's why they're asking. So then, are you Elijah? Well, then what did, what did Yeshua even say about this, about Elijah? In Matthew 11, uh, did I give you that one? I have to keep looking on my notes that I gave you to make sure there's something I didn't give you. Matthew 11, verses 11 through 15, it says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than Yohanan the Immerser, Yet the least one in the reign of the heavens is greater than he. The least of those in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. So in Matthew 5, he said, if you lessen any of these laws and teach others likewise to do that, you will be called least in the kingdom. The least in the kingdom will still be greater than John the Baptist. Why is that? Because at least you're in. Not comparing what you did here on this earth, at least you're in. Okay? He's talking about with what John has done here. We'll try to get past that. Verse 12, And from the days of Yohanan the the Immerser till now, uh, the reign or the kingdom of, of the heavens is violated, and the violent sees it. For all the prophets in the Torah prophesied until Yohanan, John the Baptist. And if you wish to accept it, he is Eliyahu, who was about to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus says that... John the Baptist did come in the spirit of Elijah to announce his coming because he is the Messiah and he is the prophet. And Elijah did need to come before the prophet and before the Messiah shows up. But Elijah is also going to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Remember, Elijah was one of the ones that was taken up. So he didn't die. Why would it be that God would have two people Uh, or at least one in the Bible that didn't die. And Moses, they argued over his body. Why? It is my opinion that those will be the two witnesses. For me, it's the only reason why the devil would be arguing with Michael over the body of Moses. He's trying to stop God from fulfilling his prophecies. And he just took Elijah up He just goes up and he doesn't die. The other one could be Enoch, but that's that's another story. Uh, And that one's possible. But I really think it's going to be Moses and Elijah is who I think it's going to be, that he's going to bring back during that three-and-a-half-year period, and they're going to be prophesying. And literally, whatever comes to their mind, they're not going to be told everything to do. Whatever they decide, that's it. God will do it through their voice. Wow, for three and a half years. And anybody tries to attack them, it literally says fire comes out from their mouths and they consume them. 
and when they're finally killed, the whole world throws a Christmas party, exchanging gifts and having a party and just a, a big drunken party because they're finally dead and then they stand back up after three days. I didn't want to start with Sermon 3 there, sorry. Um, so that's uh, Elijah. That's the, one, the other one they're looking for. Or the prophet. So under this one about the prophet, I've actually got three passages here. One of them Susan did bring up is this passage out of Deuteronomy 18. It says, I shall raise up for them a prophet like you out of the midst of their brothers, and I shall put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him, and it shall be the man who does not listen to my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Let's just, let me just read all of these, and then I want to talk about that for a second. In John 6, we'll get to there in a little bit, uh, get to that point here in a little bit, but in John chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Then the men, having seen the sign that Yeshua did, said, Truly, this is truly the prophet who is coming to the world. Let me point out before I even read uh, Acts chapter 3. This one is, they're not talking about a prophet. It has the definite article, the, in front of it. It is a specific prophet. Not just one of the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, Zechariah, John the Baptist. He's not a prophet. It is the prophet. There's this specific prophet that God said he would raise up like Moses. And that's why in John 6, the people say because of the sign, they go, oh, he's the prophet. He's the one we've been looking for. They're looking for multiple people coming. A prophet that they're supposed to listen to. They're looking for Elijah to come that's going to announce the day of the coming of of the Lord and the Messiah. And they're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for this multifaceted appearance for God himself to do something spectacular. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. It says, but this is how Elohim has filled what he had announced beforehand through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah was to suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn back for the blotting out of your sins in order that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Master. And that he sends Yeshua, Messiah, pre-appointed for you, whom heaven needs to receive until the times of restoration of all matters, of which Elohim spoke through the mouth of all his set-apart prophets, plural, holy prophets, plural, plural, since of old. For Moses, or Moshe, truly said to the fathers, Yahovah, your Elohim, shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Him you shall hear according to all matters, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every being who does not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Wow. So this idea of this prophet that was coming, here uh, Peter, when he's preaching after this Acts 2 event, he's telling them, you guys need to repent and turn to God that these times of refreshing may come. And this Yeshua is none other than not only the Messiah, but he is also the prophet spoken of by Moses. 
This is what Peter's referring to here in this, uh, in this sermon that he's given. It's absolutely fascinating. If you jump all the way down to verse 34, in between verse uh, 29 where he says, See the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let me, let me look at this for a second. Before I jump down there, I do have something that is not in your notes. Um, he says, in verse 29, he says, On the next day, Yochanan saw Yeshua coming toward him, and he said, See the Lamb of God, or the Lamb of Elohim, who takes away the sins of of the world. We understand that, right, to be that Yeshua is what? The Passover lamb, right? He's the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. I told you uh, last week that there's this book by um, Eli Lazorkenberg um, on uh, the Gospel of John that's really uh, fascinating. And I was reading again, <clears throat> and I've got this little note. Um, I'm sorry, it's Eli Ezenberg Lazorkin. That's a mouthful, anyhow. Eli, I can remember. Uh, and I, I just copied and pasted this. I want to read this to you <clears throat> because we understand that Yeshua is the Passover lamb. We understand that, right? Uh, but few, very few Christians today want to actually observe Passover, uh, and might have gone to a Passover meal once or twice in their life or something that's kind of cool or whatever, but we, most Christians will typically celebrate Easter and not necessarily Passover, right? I just want to read this to you because I found it absolutely fascinating. This guy's really sharp. He's got doctorate degree and, and much more. I just, uh, I'm giving him credit for this. I didn't, I didn't study all this. I just read it. Let me read it to you. It says, a short side trip into church history will make this more interesting for us. In many predominantly Christian countries, the festival of Easter was called by a different name. It was called the Christian Passover. Why? Simply because in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the judgment of God passed over their sinner, the sinner's heads just as it passed over the heads of the Israelites in their exodus from ancient Egypt. You see, all early Christians celebrated a festival that later, be, later came to be known as Easter. However, it had been called Pascha, which is Passover in Syriac or Aramaic, or Pesach, which is Passover in Hebrew. Over time, Christian and Jewish leaders worked hard to create a clear separation between these two believing communities. This process, in spite of popular opinion, took centuries and did not happen conclusively in the early 2nd century as commonly thought, parentheses, the so-called parting of the ways. The question for the emergent non-Israelite Christ-following movement was not whether or not biblical feasts such as Passover should be observed, but rather how and when most of them should be observed. 
Some Christians believe that Pascha or Passover or Easter had to be commemorated on the same date as the Jewish Passover, which is the 14th of Nisan, when the Passover happened, signifying the atoning death of Jesus. While other Christians believe that Pascha or Passover should be celebrated on a different day than the Jewish Passover, commemorating Jesus' resurrection instead, which we know here, you should know that happened on the Feast of First Fruits. The latter view won, and the first view was eventually declared heretical. So what he points out here, so this is the next day, John the Baptist says, see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We know that to be a declaration of Jesus being this Passover lamb. And uh, Eli was pointing out how that the early Christian followers kept Passover and these other feasts and everything, but the debate began over, well, what part of that should we be actually observing? And some people wanted to really focus on the resurrection. Nothing wrong with that. It's the Feast of first fruits. It always happens on a Sunday. It's always the first day of the week during the week of unleavened bread, which starts at Nisan 15 and going on for seven days. So whenever a Sunday happens in there, whether it's the day after or on the seventh day or what, that's first fruits. <clears throat> Others wanted to actually celebrate Passover and the resurrection order, but they really wanted to focus on him dying and atoning for our sins, <clears throat> being the Passover lamb. So they started arguing. Gentiles, right? Because they weren't trained in the Torah. Didn't understand how it was all related and how it's all coming full circle as we are now learning. And so then the debate began over, well, which one? And more and more people wanted to just simply celebrate the resurrection and the Jewish leaders and the Christian leaders literally worked hard at saying, look, we are not Christian and you are not Jewish. So they worked hard at devising a plan to separate this. And the church finally came up with a way to, to time it based on the spring equinox. And depending on if that Sunday fell right on or right at the spring equinox or the next one. If it fell on it, then it had to be the next week. And that's why it kind of jumps a little bit. But it's centered around the spring equinox, not on God's calendar. It's based on that. <clears throat> and then instead of it calling it anything like uh, Passover or first fruits or whatever, uh, they came up with the name Easter. I'm not going to chase that tonight. I didn't mean to do that. I'm just trying to get you to see the difference and how all this happened. Why? Because Yeshua is the Passover lamb. This is what John the Baptist is saying. Does that make sense now? And so that you can kind of have that as a reference point, you know, on how all this transpired. Uh, when John makes that announcement, this is where I was trying to jump past. This is where he starts saying, this is the guy that I was talking about that came before me because but he came after me, but he's before me because he was before me. This is the guy I'm talking about as he's walking up to him. 
you know, the whole accounts where he says, I ain't baptizing you. You need to baptize me. You kidding me? And John also says, this is how I know it's him. I didn't really know him. Got too many things in my head here, right? Why would he say that? Well, the historical... um, let me just say that the, or even the archaeological findings and the, um, the findings about uh, the study about John the Baptist, and watch this, a group of people that lived in the city or the community of Qumran. Does that sound familiar? Where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. That John was part of that group. And that he also, what? It says that he lived out in the wilderness, ate bugs and honey. There's a debate about that, but we'll leave it at that. He ate locusts and honey, uh, wore camel's hair. Um, all of those things are closely related, if you will, to the Qumran community that basically said, this is kind of what they said in Paul Henry Texan, you guys are nuts. All of you, all y'all have lost your minds. That's kind of what they said, and they went, we're bugging out of here. All of, us, all of the people that think like us, you're welcome to come with us. We're going to go out here. We're going to start our own commune. We're going to start our own little group. We're going to live out here in the middle of nowhere. We don't want anything to do with you, you, you who deem and everything. Why? Because they made a pact with the queen of Jerusalem about 100 years B.C. Put them in power and basically said, you guys can do whatever you want. You can put out whoever you want. You can put them back in whatever you want. Whatever your ruling sticks. Boy, and they ran with it. It was so corrupt because it was all about money. Money, power, and place. This Qumran community said, we're done with all of that junk. We're moving out. We're going to do our own thing. They go out there. uh, Really secluded community. They write all this stuff, which is what we now know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it's highly, highly believed that John was connected with that group. Highly believed that he was connected with that group. John is saying, listen, I didn't really know him. Why? Because he was gone, even though he was his cousin. And secondly, then he says, but this is how I know that he is the Messiah. God told me that he would, his spirit would come down on him in the form of a dove, and I just saw it. And folks, it wasn't a bird. It says in the form of a dove. It had to have been weird, different, not just, well, if you see a bird land on you. I got chickens that will land on my sheep, and the sheep walk around with chickens on their head. It's the funniest looking thing you've ever seen. I have chickens and ducks and have a duck on the back of a chicken, and he's just digging around looking for whatever he can find, and the sheep just standing there. It's funny looking, right? Um, it's not, in other words, it's not um, impossible for a bird to land on somebody, right? <clears throat> not impossible. Rare, maybe, maybe not, you know. Um, it had to have been something so different that John, when he saw it, even if it was some kind of physical bird, I think he also something else. I think at least he saw the Shekinah glory of God because he said it was his spirit 
in the form of a dove. So he had to have seen, I don't know, some kind of glow. I don't know. Something around this, this bird had to have been like, that ain't normal. Something is like really wrong. And God had already told him. So he said, this is how I know that he really is the Messiah. The Lamb of God who takes away literally the sins of the world. And then he makes a comment. And this is what I want to close on tonight. In verse 34, he says, And I have seen and have witnessed that this is the Son of God. Now then, remember when he made the comments uh, when he told them, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that it was a messianic quote and one of the most profound and prominent messianic passages that almost all the rabbis did agree about, that Psalm 2 is talking about the Messiah and that God is in the heavens laughing at those that are going to try to fight against God and His Messiah, and that His Messiah is called the Son of God. And God says you need to kiss the Son lest He be angry, because if you don't listen to Him, I'm going to require it of you personally. What John the Baptist as a prophet is saying here is not accidental is what I'm getting at. He's making a very profound statement. This is the Messiah, the very Son of God, the one we've been looking for. They knew that. They knew these passages better than we do because we're just now figuring this stuff out, right? We're just now figuring out how all of these Old Testament passages are so connected to the new the new testament is the revelation of the old testament in the flesh yeshua fulfilling all that stuff and then all of the letters in the new testament is explaining to these new believers how that happened and how they're supposed to live it out and then revelation is talking about what's going to happen when this messiah comes back the second time and fulfills those fall feasts That's what's happening here. And so he's saying, listen, this is the Son of God. Why am I even stressing that to you? Because to this day, a rabbi will fight you over this and say they don't believe that God would become flesh when in fact they did. At least his Messiah or his spirit in this Messiah being his son that God brought forth. So when you start trying to tie them down on it, and this is why the rabbis would argue about it. All the way back to when the prophecies first started, to the time when Yeshua was here, to this day, today, they still argue about it, but they bank on the fact that you don't know your Bible as well as they know their Bible. And so they'll tell you, we don't believe that God would become a man and that, and that this man would die and be a sacrifice for sins. God doesn't kill people to remit sins. 
And so they'll try to argue with you that that's that old son of God thing. That's in your Bible, not ours. When it is in your Old Testament. That makes sense. And that's why I want you to know it because, listen, if you don't study the Old Testament to understand this stuff, aren't you like me? I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I did this for years. And you realize, okay, well, yeah, he's the Son of God. The Trinity, right? And I'm going, okay, good. That's what I was taught. That's what I grew up learning. That's what I went to school. It's what I learned. Duh. On to the next thing. And I'd go, well, you people don't believe in the Trinity. I guess you don't believe in the Trinity because you're not saved. Okay, well, I'll just go on to the next thing, right? And I'm not thinking about this issue over him being the Son of God is important, and it's directly tied to these prophecies about the Messiah being the Son of God. And the prophecies talk about this Messiah suffering and being cut off, killed, Bones pulled out of joint. Isaiah 53 is the picture of the cross for crying out loud. That's why they don't study it in their Torah studies, in their Torah portions. It's skipped over every year. It's not in there. And they don't tell them you need to go read it. Because when an Orthodox Jew reads Isaiah 53, they go, that sounds like a New Testament passage. That sounds like Jesus. Exactly. Duh. They don't want you reading that. Why? Because now for 2,000 years, they want it separated. And after all, we Christians slaughtered the Jewish people over and over and over again through the Crusades and everything else, saying that we would get forgiveness from our sins if we'd go to Jerusalem and kill Jews. That's what they were told. The Crusades. And that's what they did. And the Jewish people have been hounded and pushed out of every city, every town, all over the world, and it's still happening today. And anti-Semitism is rising up its ugly head in our country. In our country. We now have a congresswoman that is a pledged Palestinian. Kid you not. Congresswoman and is pro-anti-Israel. And is vowed to keep pushing it. It's the one crack. It's already happened. And anti-Semitism is going through the roof. You say that to people, oh, no, that's not true. It's not true. It is true. It's happening constantly. That is why the Jewish people go, there's no way I'm going to be a Christian. Why would you want me to leave my God and join some group that wants to kill us? That's what they've been told since they were kids. The same way you and I were told the Old Testament doesn't apply to us. Don't read that stuff. It's all okay. Don't worry about it. We're just going to celebrate Christmas, Easter. It's all fine. You know, don't worry about it. That's what we were told, right? And now we're learning, well, that's not exactly true. Um, And so that's what happened. But you need to understand these things because your faith and my faith is going to get challenged. I've been saying this. I'm going to say it again. I firmly believe that the spirit of delusion has already been poured out on this earth. We're living in Alice in Wonderland. Everything's upside down. We got playing cards for people. These cards are talking. It's the weirdest thing. Nothing makes any sense. 
And the Word of God says that when it gets ugly, the delusion that's coming is going to be so strong, watch this, that even the people that are in this room with me tonight will be challenged. You're going to get a check in your spirit and go, ooh, oh, this looks, ooh. He says, even the elect will be almost drawn into it. And he says, but for the sake of the elect, God says, I'm going to cut the day short. It's going to be that powerful, people. And you, you and I really need to understand our Bible. And that's why some of these things that I, I kind of hound, and you, know, you might be going, here he goes again. It's because I know what's coming. And if you and I are not grounded in the Word of God, you and I could find ourselves on shaky ground and falling into something and go, well, maybe that... Maybe that's right. Maybe, maybe there is something to that. What? Eve. Would you say it? Yeah. Just doing just like what Eve did. That she was deceived by what? By what was good in the tree. And she thought it's going to make her wise to do what? What God had told her to do. I don't think she was really trying to just rebel against God. God said, you're to be the Ezra Konegdo. You're to have this guy's back. You're to be for him and against him. It's a military term. And that's why Satan went after her. Plus, she could procreate another imager. And God goes, he knows it's going to make you wise. and It's going to make you like him. You're not going to die. So she goes, she saw that it was good, pleasant to the eye, good for food, would make her wise. Why not? Maybe I misunderstood something. See how it goes? And that's what's going to happen. And you and I are going to go, well, wow, that sounds, that sounds pretty, that's intriguing. Boy, if you don't know your Bible, you're not really grounded. It can suck you in. And I want, you to, I want us to know our Bible, and I want us to know our God Better and better every day so that no matter what comes your way, you can say, well, well, hold on a minute. No, no, no. I know what that says. And I know that's right. I don't care what your logic says. This is right. This is, this is what it says. And my God is God. And I'm not going to get sucked into this uh, multiculturalism, multi religion, one world religion, junk, and that's where it's headed. And it's going to look good. You're sitting here thinking there's no way you could be fooled. I'm telling you, it's going to look good. It's going to look good. I've had times in my own life, even here recently, I would see something, read something, and I'd go, well, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. What, what did they just say? Um... One of the things, let me just say this and I'm going to close. One of the things can be, don't get too hung up on a name. They call him one thing. They call him this thing. They call him, it's all the same. It's all the same God. The Muslims call him the Mahdi. We call him the Messiah. What difference does it make? We're already learning. Some people call him Jesus. We call him Yeshua. And I want you to know that that's not how it's spelled in your notes. I copy and paste it, but I don't think they're spelling. It's not the spelling. They want to pronounce it Yahusha. 
because there's a there people out there saying that, that it could be pronounced that way. It, it really, the full name is like Joshua. It's shortened into Yeshua. Anyways, so we're already learning, okay, well, Jesus, that's the English name. It's translated from Hebrew to Greek to Latin to German, finally into English is how we get from Yeshua or Yehoshua to Yeshua to Esau to Esau to Jesus. What's the big deal? Same logic. Well, what's the big deal between the Mahdi and the Messiah? And the Muslims believe in Jesus, and they do believe that he's coming back. Did you know that? They just believe that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back and tell us we were wrong and the Muslims were right. And you need to follow the Mahdi. What difference does it make? It's just a name, right? Just like Lord, it's just a name. Baal, it's just a name. It's just a name connected to Baalzebub, Baalzebub, uh, Lucifer, Hasatan, which means the accuser, Satan himself, which is the same word as Lord, which isn't a name. But God says, I'm going to remove the Baals from their mouths. I'm telling you, in the millennial kingdom and following, we will not call him Lord. It will not happen. He is jealous for his name. And he will give us a pure tongue and a pure language when that happens. And I'm sure there won't be any Texan. I'm not going to have this Texas accent. We will be able to speak this pure language perfectly, and we will call him by his right name perfectly. I think it's going to be something close to Yahovah, but you know what? It could be something really different. I don't care. Right now, I'm calling him Yahovah. That's what I think it is. When that happens, he's going to remove the Baals from our mouths, and we will call him by his right name when we call him. But do you see where I'm saying that you and I could get tricked and sucked into something if we don't understand our Bible? And even a rabbi can go, yeah, but we don't believe that God would become flesh and that we believe that we are his son because it says he would suffer and who has suffered more than us. And they'll show you the verse that says, Israel is my son. See, we're the Messiah. You need to be able to go, no. (laughs) No. Let's go to Psalm chapter 2. Let's go to Psalm 2. Let's, go, let's sit down and read that one. There's a lot. But anyway, do you see where I'm getting at with all this? And that's why I want us to really understand our Bible. This Jesus, this Yeshua that came and died, the very Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, came for you and I to restore us to Him because He loves you. He is specific, and He is the one and only way to the Father. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's, I hate to say it, but very exclusive. It is not inclusive. It is exclusive. We get in through him. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. I'm not your shepherd. Jesus is. I'm just one step in front trying to teach what I'm learning. Please don't put me up on a pedestal. Please. I have a hard enough time balancing that dumb thing. I can't, I'm horrible at it. 
Yeshua is. We need to be sold out to Him. Amen.